So yesterday, first of all, we're learning the Mimer of Adam Kiakriv from Lichotay mm -hmm. Tara. Yesterday, we had a summary of the whole Mimer. We just laid out, there's five chapters, it's quite a long Mimer, just in brief what each chapter is discussing. So we have a little bit of a, a roadmap, I guess, as we're making our way through. And today, we are going to jump right in. As I mentioned yesterday, the theme of this Mimer is obviously Korbanot and what korbanot um, look like in our own life, right? And also a major theme of this mimer is the difference between inspiring ourselves versus being inspired by others. As we said, it's almost like the opposite of the Amiladoidi mimer where we discussed first inspiring ourselves and the advantage of starting off with our own inspiration and then how to elicit <coughs> the divine inspiration as a response. And Adam Kiyakrib is basically the opposite process of that. So that's going to be a very big um, emphasis within the Mimer as well that we're going to discuss. So as we said yesterday, the Mimer starts off with what's called the Dibur HaMatril, the opening verse. And the opening verses, you can look inside page three, it says it all here. We're going to read the whole verse, even though um, we're going to be focusing on specific words. Vayikra uh, El Moshe, this again is the opening verse of Parshat Vayikra and the whole Chumash Vayikra, which very much discusses Korbanot. So Vayikra El Moshe, Hashem calls to Moshe. Vayedabar Hashem Olav, and Hashem spoke to him, Me'ohel Mo'ed, from the tent of meeting, Lemar to say, Daber El Bnei Israel, speak to the Jewish people, Yamarta Elehem, and say to them, no problem. Now your speaker's working, I guess. <laughs> it is. It's so scary. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a life of its own. You're so working. Okay, well, there you go. Who's talking? So now we get to the actual pasuk that we're going to discuss. Adam Kiakriv. This is the command Hashem is giving to Moshe to command to the Jewish people. Adam Kiakriv Mikem. A man, when he will bring a sacrifice from among you, korban la Hashem, a sacrifice to Hashem, min ha from the animals, min bakar from, well, I guess we could say behemah would be animal, bakar would be, I guess, cattle, umin son, and from the sheep, takruivu et korban chem you will sacrifice your sacrifices. This is the Pasuk. So as we said, we're going to start off with some questions and then we're going to um, speak a little bit about the godly soul and the animal soul. So before that, before we do that, let's get to the questions. Before we get to the questions, uh, don't turn the page <laughs> because I want you to look at this Pasuk. You can look at it in English, although they might have already fixed it, so to speak, in English. But there's three grammatical questions that the author is going to ask on this Pasuk. Three things that just logically don't make sense in a sentence. And so I wanted you guys to look at it and see if you can tell what maybe they are. And then we can go, and go inside. See if you notice any, anything that doesn't fit. I want to see if it, if it stands out in the English as well. And starting from when a man will offer from among you. You know what? I see here that in the English, they kind of fixed uh, yeah. it. They fixed it. <laughs> Not, they didn't fix it. They just made it make sense. Um, anyone familiar with Hebrew enough that they would pick it up? My grandma's not. Cause it's not, it's not, it's not going to pick it up. Okay, so, so let's, let's read them inside. Let's read, let me just turn this off quickly because it's, I don't know what's going on. So turn the page. Let's see the three questions that we have on this Verse. So the Alter asks three questions on the wording of the verse. 
So many times we ask more of an existential question on the verse, right? Now we're asking very literal, why was it written the way it was written? So the first question is, Lahavin, we need to understand, Why did the verse start out speaking in third person, saying, Adam kiyakriv, a man when he will bring, speaking about a man as he, in third person, Lashon Listar, the CM and it finishes off Takrivu et Korbanchem, you will bring your sacrifices, which is second person. Finishes off in second person. So that's one um, well, that's one discrepancy over here that doesn't add up. So it starts off with saying, a man when he will bring, speaking about the man in third person, and then it says at the end, you will bring your sacrifices, right? So which one is it? Are we speaking directly to somebody? Are we speaking about somebody in the third person? Okay, that's clear? Okay, next question. Also, we have another question. It says, a man when he, singular, will bring. And then it says, and you, in plural, will bring your sacrifices, in plural. Um, so have you guys learned that the, if you put the taf and the vav, I don't know if you've learned all of these um, grammatical things, but if you put the taf and the vav, that makes it, you plural, right? In English, we don't have you plural. We don't say use. Although I think in Old English there was something, no? I'm trying... Um, yeah, you guys say like use people. Use? That's just slang. It's not a lot of that. I started friend In the British, they'll say like use... My Scottish friend does that. I think that's like... Use is annoying. Yeah. I don't think that that's like actually official. My Scottish friend does that, use. I'm like... I'm trying to remember if in Old English there's... I, I seem to remember something, but I could be wrong. You um, is actually plural, and um, thou was singular, you. Oh! Yeah. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. Thou. Okay, so then we just got lazy and made it all you, because nobody says thou now. That is very interesting, that's good to know. Okay, so, but in Hebrew, even in modern Hebrew, we still have a difference between plural and singular when you say you. So, takrivot korbanchem means you, plural, will bring your sacrifices. Ki akriv means when he, singular, will bring his sacrifice. Okay, so why does it switch from singular to plural? Okay? I don't understand the first question. The first question is, it switches from second person to third person. So, it starts off saying, a man when he will bring his sacrifice... Speaking about the person as if he's not in the room, right? Almost like right, second, third person, right? He's not there. And then it ends off with, you will bring your sacrifices. You only say you when somebody's right in front of you, which is second person. So why does it switch? Well, what's the name of, is there a grammatical name for third person, second person? Um, like for that group of people. rules in English? I'm sure there is, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't learn English in high school because I was here. And so I just didn't have to go to the classes because they were learning English as a second language. So my English goes back to like many years ago. Anyway, third question. Is the second question clear? Singular to plural? No. Okay, third question. Vagan, also another question. This is a, if you were learning Gemara, you might have seen this term. means it should have said... Milat Miken, it should have put the word Miken from you. Kodem <clears throat> before saying when he will sacrifice. Hainu, which means it should have said, Adam Miken Kiakrib, a man from among you when he will sacrifice. Instead it says, Adam Kiakrib Miken, a man who will sacrifice from among you, which makes it sound like what? To say a man who will sacrifice from among you. Adam kiakriv mikem. Like you, a man. 
Adam Kiakri Mikem, one person. One person out of everyone. Out of everyone. What does that sound like? One person out of everyone. One person should be doing this. No, okay. You murder that one person. Or it could sound like oh. one person out of everyone means go find somebody and sacrifice them. Oh. Right? If you look at the. It could be interpreted that way very easily. Adam Kiakri Mikem, a man when he will be when he will sacrifice from among you. Right? Uh, it should have said, a man from among you when he will sacrifice. Adam mikem kiakrim. So the order is seemingly wrong and seems to be insinuating that we're going to be offering a person as a korban, which we clearly know is not the case, right? Aketat Yitzchak uh, is the only case where we have even something remotely close to human sacrifice, and that obviously didn't, didn't happen. There's no such thing as human sacrifice in Judaism. Uh, Baruch Hashem. So... That's why we, you know, Baruch Hashem, that, we're, that we have to struggle over the fact that animals were sacrificed and not anything worse than that, like in many other pagan uh, things going on at that time. Okay, those are the three questions. We good with them? Yeah. Okay, so now as we said, after we established the three questions, we are going to forget about the three questions until, I think, chapter three. Um, I think in chapter three, we're going to, maybe chapter two will address the questions again. I don't remember. Chapter two. Chapter two, right? So chapter two, we're going to go back. But chapter one is very long. We're going to take a break from the questions. And now we need to understand a concept and idea in Hasidism. We said that what we need to understand in order to answer these questions is the fact that we have two souls, right? We have two souls. We have a godly soul and we have an animal soul, which you guys have learned about. And somehow by understanding the purpose and the makeup and the source of each of these souls, we're going to be able to understand a little bit better why the command for sacrifices was phrased specifically in the way it was. Because the Torah, as we said, Torah did revelation Adam. Torah speaks in the language of people. So Torah doesn't make mistakes, and there's no such thing as a grammatical error in the Torah, right? Um, although there are many commentaries who sometimes will say, oh, why does it repeat itself? And I'll say, it was just poetic. Hasidus takes everything very seriously. There's no such thing as it just being poetic. Um, although there are, reason, you know, there are fair, uh, true lines of Jewish thought that will say, this was, this was just poetic, that's why it said it that way, it's supposed to that way. Um, but when, when Hasidus look, takes a look at a pasuk, it takes every single word and every single letter and every single nukuda is there, a Kabbalah as well, for a reason. So we're going to understand, based on understanding the two souls, why it was worded that way. Okay, so now let's go into learning a little bit about our two souls that we have within us, which is very much the premise and basis of the Tanya that the Alter Rebbe wrote, right? That we have two souls within us. So the way the Torah writes seems to imply that the offering is from among you, that the person himself is the offering, when in fact the person is offering an animal. We clearly know that. So, ah, however, in order to understand this, Hinei it is known, Shiyesh b'kolechad, that it exists within every person, Beis nefashot, two souls, Nefesh HaLokit, the Nefesh HaVamit, the godly soul and the animal soul. There's also the intellectual soul, Nefesh HaSichlit, but that's, you know, that's another discussion. And that would probably be included in the animal soul. Anyway, so we have two souls, the Nefesh HaLokit and the Nefesh HaVamit. Now we're going to first start by discussing the godly soul. Before we go inside, I'm going to speak a little bit outside about this, okay? We're going to start. Before we start, just, um, just to, do we have any markers for the board? Oh, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Just, I just want to quickly break down the godly soul, the animal soul, to the very basics, which you guys, I'm assuming, all know. But just as a little reminder, we have two souls, and they are each full souls, right? It's not like half and half. They're two full functioning souls that each one has within us. 
and they are broken up into five levels, right? Do you guys know what the five levels of the soul are? Nefesh, Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida. Chaya, and Yechida. So the interesting thing is that the, this is the God, this, this is the animal soul. And this is the godly soul, which has its own nefesh, ruach, oh sorry, neshama, chaya, but the yechida is the same for both. Okay, because the yechida is the essence. And the animal soul doesn't have an essence of its own, because it's what we can call it more in klipa. And klipa doesn't have true essence, it doesn't have a true identity outside of Yechida, outside of Hashem. Okay, so there's no, we can either say that there's no Yechida in the animal soul or that the, the godly soul's Yechida is the same as the animal soul's Yechida, okay? But there are two independent souls completely. And what we're gonna be focusing on is not the breakup here of the five levels, but rather the source of each one. They come from different places up on high, spiritual, spiritual sources, which means that they have different temperaments, obviously, and they have um, different ways of being elevated. So we're going to start with the, there's something else I wanted to say, but I don't remember what it was, okay, if it comes to me. We're going to start with the godly soul. The godly soul, does anyone know where the godly soul is sourced from? The godly soul is sourced from the world of what's called Atzilut, okay, it's from all the way up in Chochmah of Atzilut. And then it goes, and then it has other sources as it descends down all the way down into our physical bodies down here, but that's the original source of the godly soul. And that level, we've mentioned this before in previous Maimarim, the, the makeup, the spiritual makeup of the world of Atsilot with the 10 sphere up there are called by the name of Adam. Adam Ha'elyon. You guys heard that, right? We discussed the idea of Adam Ha'elyon, the supernal man. So we, our godly soul is made in the image of the, is, is sourced from the supernal man, from Adam, which is made in the image of Hashem. So, Let's read this quickly, just this paragraph, and then I'm going to elaborate specifically on the connection between the source of our godly soul in the world of Atzilut and its name of Adam. And we're going to understand a little bit more about the godly soul based on that. So, Asher Nefesh the divine soul, Shosha Mepchinat Adam, is sourced in the level called Adam, which is referring to Atzilut, the world of Atzilut. Kmoshe Katuv, as is written, Vayivra Elokim et Adam Salmo and Hashem created man in his image. Oksiv, although the truth is Adam is not man, we'll discuss that in a second, it's human being. Oksiv, and it's written, Vyald Musakiseit Muskamara Adam, that on the image of the chair, the throne of Hashem, there was a likeness of the appearance of Adam, which we're going to discuss. So let's speak a little bit about this Adam, this concept, the spiritual concept of what's called Adam Elyon. Before we do that, let's speak first about people. We are called Adam. We're actually, we have four names. Human beings have four names. Right down on the board. The first, the highest name that's describing the human being is Adam. And Adam comes from a few words. Adame le'elyon. Have you heard that term? Adame means I am similar le'elyon to the one on high. Adame le'elyon which means that this level le'elion, that this level of a human being called Adam is referring to man as he imitates God. Man as he, so to speak, mirrors God. Adam el'elion, although 
Adam also comes from the word. Does anyone else know what other word Adam comes from? Why was Adam called Adam? Adam. Adam. What is Adam? Earth. Earth. Man was created from the earth, and so he's called Adam. So there's a very interesting idea here, which is totally sound from the Mimer. That Adam is two things. He's Adama, he's earth, the lowest of the low, and he's also the highest thing, Adam El, you're mirroring God. And the idea is it depends on what you do with your life. It depends on how you live as a human being. A human being can fall to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest levels. Because the only the only creations that have free choice are people. So we can we're the only ones who can actually choose to go against God. And the Altarabi describes this in the Tanya saying that uh, even a Yatush, a mosquito, mosquitoes considered like the lowest of the lowest of creatures because a mosquito only takes in and it doesn't produce any waste. Mm. Um, it doesn't excrete anything, so it doesn't like contribute anything, so to speak, to, to the world. Um, it's only taking in and not giving back. And that's considered like the lowest of the creatures. And the altar says a human being, when he sins, is lower than a mosquito because a mosquito can never go against mm. God, but a human being going against God is even lower than that. So that's, that's, that's the difference here, that we can rise to the highest, highest heights. We can marry God and also fall, so to speak, to Adama. Anyway, that's Adam. The next uh, term that's used to describe human beings is Ish and Isha. You'll notice Adam doesn't have a Adam doesn't have a female uh, counterpart name. Adam is referring to the human be human beings, man and woman, because as we know, we were created initially as one, right? We're created as a man and a woman. Um, in one form, and then Hashem separated us. So Adam is referring to human beings as they are in their highest form. Next level is Isha and Isha. Another thing, sorry, I'm just geeking out over here, but Adam is referring to the to human beings and their intellectual capacity, which differentiates them from all other creatures. The way that their intellectual capacity differentiates them from animals, etc. So Adam represents the intellectual faculties of the human being. Ish, Isha, you see the word H, fire, fire's emotions, represents the emotions that we have within us and the option for all of the emotions that we can have within us, as opposed to animals or angels are limited to very specific emotions. The next one is Enosh and Enusha. I don't know if you've ever heard this term used about people, but Enosh is sometimes used. Uh, I don't know if Enusha comes up in the Torah, I'm not sure. But that is the, the female counterpart. Enosh is referring to man and his capacity actually for sin. Enosh was a, grand, a great grandson, I don't know how many greats, of Adam, and he was the first one to introduce idolatry and sin into the world. Um, Enosh is referring to the human being's capacity to go against God. And now I'm forgetting the last one. <laughs> Yay. What was Ish, Isha capacity? Ish is the emotions. Okay. Wait. Adam, Ish, Enosh, and? I don't remember. Maybe I wrote it down. Let's check. Wait, so what's Adam then? If Ish is Adam the is the intellectual. Intellect. Yes. Um, let's see if I wrote it down somewhere quickly. No, I didn't. Okay. The last one will be Cliffhanger. Is anyone, can anyone think of Ish? Oh, Gever. Uh, ah. Have you guys heard of Giveret? Yeah. <laughs> right? So in modern Hebrew, they took this word. So Gever comes from the word Gibor. Gibor means to overcome something, to be strong. Uh, Gever or Giveret, which in modern Hebrew is, is, is Mr. and Mrs. And it comes from the word Gibor, which means to overcome, to be strong, and it's referring to the Ability of the human being to do teshuva, even if he was on the level of enosh, he could be a giver. He can overcome. 
his sins, so to speak, and he can be a Balat Shoba and he can return to Hashem. This is a side point. Uh, but what we're going to be focusing on is Adam, but not Adam as we are Adam, but Adam as we are sourced. We are sourced in Adam Ha'alyon, in Atsilot. Okay? And this represents the intellectual capacity. As we know, the godly soul, its main resting place is in the brain, right? Have we discussed that? I, th I feel like we did this year. That the godly soul is sourced primarily in the brain. I think was over and then secondarily. I taught Tanya this year? No, you, you, it, you haven't mentioned it, although my coffee might have mentioned it. Oh, 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 you're saying, okay, it might have been in your Tanya class. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just go through it quickly. Again, this is, this is just important stuff to know, right? Um, you're nodding, maybe because we did learn it, or maybe because you're not from somewhere else. The godly soul's primary residence in the body is in the brain, mm -hmm. and its secondary residence is in the heart. Which is why, when we want to, so to speak, wake up our godly soul and experience our godly soul, we first start with meditations and intellectually connecting, which then is supposed to arouse emotions in the heart. The, yeah, so first the mind, then the heart. The animal soul is the exact opposite. Its primary residence is in the heart, and its secondary residence is in the brain. So it's basically all emotion, but that emotion can leads our brain to do things, right? So that's what an animal, an animal has an instinct and says, okay, I want to eat, and then the brain comes in. How am I going to get food, right? As opposed to, why do I eat, da, 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 what, what, what is God? And then it, by meditating and contemplating on that, reaching emotions for God, right? That's the, it's an opposite process, so to speak. It's two opposite circuits, I guess we can say. So when we speak about Adam and the intellectual capacity, that's the godly soul. It's very much intellectual. That's why it's much more cold. It's not as warm, it's not as fiery, and that's why we don't really feel it and hear it and experience it as loudly as our animal soul. We have to really quiet down in order to hear it. And Adam, our godly soul, is sourced in Adam Halyon, which is um, which is in Atsilot, which is in the highest of the spiritual worlds. And what is the source for this idea? The source for this idea is from Yechezkel. Have you guys heard of the Merkava, the vision of Yechezkel? So Yechezkel had a very famous vision that's repeated twice in the book of Yechezkel, one of the, prof one of the books of the prophets. Um, by the way, I just, I just, I learned this, but I just heard it again. I just thought it was so cool. Do you know that there was a period of time from Moshe Rabbeinu for a thousand years called the time period of the prophets. And in that time, the Gemara says, guess how many prophets there were? 1.2 million. There we go. In a thousand years, there were 1.2 million prophets. Prophecy was basically like today, like a Talmud Chacham. That was, that was a prophet, although it was much harder to become a, a prophet than, than to, to become a rabbi, let's say, today. But it was extremely, extremely common. Um, but we only know, how many prophets do we know of? Uh, like Four, fifty, maybe. Maybe fifty something. Right? Seven prophetesses and not more than fifty prophets, right? And the reason is we only recorded and passed down and kept those prophecies from those prophets that are eternal, that are relevant for eternity, right? Many people would have a prophecy about what they're supposed to do tomorrow, what they should do for lunch, I don't know. Um, that's not relevant for us. So there were millions of people experiencing prophecy, but it was more on their own personal level, maybe for their family or their community or something restricted and limited to that time. Those messages which are eternal are what was recorded. So Yechezkel was one of actually the later prophets. And um, I think Yechezkel was a ger. 
Now I could be completely making this up, but I think that, no. Something, Yechesko had some sort of story. Now I'm not remembering what it was. I had to learn it years ago. I learned Yechesko, I don't remember. Um, he, has, he has some sort of story. Either he converted or he, something. Um, but he had a very, very famous vision. He had a vision which was called the Mekava. He had a vision. Oh, was he a uh, descendant from Yeshua and Ruth? Yehoshua and Ruth? Yeah, uh, no, not Ruth, Yehoshua and um, Ra. What is her name? The one. Tamar? Not Tamar, oh, not Tamar. The one oh, that had. Rahab? Rahab, Rahab, yeah, sorry. Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's, oh, it's possible. Yeah, that's right. He has some sort of like history. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember I, what it was. Probably, I don't know. I have to check. Maybe, I don't know. Yehoshua and Rahab, interesting. Um, so he had a very, very famous vision, which it's been brought down in many places that you're not supposed to learn. Um, reason being because he describes the spiritual world, specifically of Yetzirah, in a very graphic way. All sorts of descriptions. And what he's describing is this chariot of Hashem, where Hashem, so to speak, where Hashem is resting, where Hashem sits in that world. And um, the interesting thing about the Merkava, the vision of the chariot, is that there were actually, there's four what's called Merkavot, four chariots. Have you guys heard of the idea of a chariot, a Merkava, representing complete vital to Hashem? Yeah. Because a, a yeah. chariot is like led by a horse. Mm -hmm. yes. And whatever the horse or the rider decides, that's where the chariot goes. So when we speak about, yes, yeah, so when we speak about a Merkava, the concept of Merkava, it's, it's creations in a state of complete vital to Hashem. Mm -hmm. But within that, each world has a Merkava, has a, so to speak, a whole setting where Hashem rests in that world. And it's not describing Hashem at all. It's describing those creations, which spiritual creations, which surround Hashem in each world. It's actually four Merkavot. The most famous one is Yechezka, because he goes into tons and tons of detail. But the Avot, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, are considered the Merkava for the world of Atzilot. We'll see why this is relevant, because the source of the Merkava is what we're going to be discussing, is where our godly and animal soul is sourced in. So let's first a little bit understand the context of the Merkava. So Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are the Merkava of Atzilut. They didn't experience a vision of the Merkava in Atzilut because there, is no, there are no creatures in Atzilut. There are no angels floating about in Atzilut. Atzilut is so powerful. It radiates godliness to such an extent that creations are in a complete state of vital, which means that they don't have any existence whatsoever. Not even angels. There, are not, there aren't angels floating around in Atzilut. There are specifically very, very, very lofty souls which are sourced in Atzilut, but there's no angels there. And so Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and the Imahot as well, the mothers and the fathers, specifically actually Rachel, uh, Rachel Imenu, are considered the Merkava of the world of Atzilut. Um, we're coming into the month of Iyar, starting with a little side point. Iyar is Gematria Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Rachel. And it's referring to the Merkava, which exists in Atzilut. You don't have to, um, but it's referring to, they were the Merkava of that world because they were in such a tremendous, tremendous state of Betel Tashem. And then we have the world of Bria. Mm -hmm. Yeshaya Hanav, you guys heard of Isaiah? He was a very mm -hmm. famous prophet in the time of the first temple. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. <laughs> so embarrassed. Um, he was alive by one of the basic Mikdash, yeah, by the first temple, yes, yes, yes. Okay, um, he was a prophet by the first temple and he was a very famous prophet. And he also had a vision of the Merkava. He had a vision of the world of Yitzira. We don't hear about it mainly because it was just like two sentences. The reason being, the higher you are as a prophet, the less you notice 
what's called, I guess, the furniture, the surroundings of Hashem. And the more you notice Hashem, you have a vision of a spiritual world. In that world is a specific presence of Hashem. There are also angels and faces with all different faces of all different animals and different representations, but you're not going to notice that. If you're such a great prophet, you notice the godliness in that world. You notice God. As opposed to if you're a lesser prophet, you start to like notice the furniture. So there's a, there's a mashal that the Baal Shem Tov brings that um, the king invited a whole delegation. I might have brought this mashal before. He invited an entire delegation of different people to come and visit him in the palace. Mm -hmm. And they walked in and the architect started looking around. It was just blown away by the architecture of the palace. He was just standing for hours marveling at it. And the artist was looking at all the paintings, mm -hmm. right? And the gardener was looking at the gardens. And then there was one guy, some simple guy, some simple farmer, and he just walked in and he walked straight through into the palace and he had a private meeting with the king while everybody else was looking at the furniture. And we see this with the prophets. Shmuel Hanavi, for example, is considered one of the greatest prophets. He doesn't have a vision of the Merkava. He had visions of the, of the upper spiritual worlds, but he experienced Hashem in the, in the you know, he, he, he noticed God in those contexts. He didn't t t stick around to notice the furniture, to notice the architecture. Yechaska is considered one of the lower prophets. And he was, he was also heading towards a time where, where prophecy was actually running out, like stopping completely, one of the, one of the last prophets. And so he, he had a vision of the world of, of uh, Yetzirah. So Yeshaya had a vision of, Bri, of Bri, the world of Bria, but it's only two sentences because he wasn't, wasn't looking around, right? He was noticing Hashem. But he does describe in two sentences the world of Bria. Yesh, uh, Yechezkel had a vision that's repeated actually twice in his... Um, in the book of Yechezkel, of the world of Yetzirah. And in that world, he describes at great length that there was a chariot that he saw, and each side of the chariot was held up by a different angel, which had a different face. One had the face of an ox, one had the face of a lion, one had the face of an eagle, and one had the face of um, Adam, of a man. A face that looked like the face of a man. We have to be very careful when learning anything about the Merkava, the reason why it's brought down, like don't learn the Merkava at all, um, is because it speaks so literally about such spiritual things that you can actually forget that we're speaking about God, we're speaking about, we're speaking about spirituality and start to get distracted, so to speak. So these are all obviously didn't look like a lion like we know, but that's the way that Yechazka was describing it in the words that we can understand. One angel had the face of a lion, one of the ox, one of an eagle and one of a man. And the source of our godly soul is from the Merkava. Okay, follow me here. Just because this is what it says in the Mimer, if you don't fully grasp it, it's okay. You can still get the Mimer. It's sourced in the Merkava of Atsilut, okay? Of the, 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 the Adam that exists on the chariot. So there were four angels holding up the chariot. The highest one was the Pnei Adam, the face of man. And that is the source of the godly soul. We're going to see later why this is relevant, okay? And we're going to see also that the source of the animal soul is one of the other animals that are on the chariot. Okay. Is that face of Adam the supernal man? Yes, that's considered okay. Adam Ha'elion, the supernal man. Okay. And it's holding up the Kisei HaKavod, the, kise ha the spiritual, so to speak, chair, which Hashem then rests on and sits on. This chariot is, so to speak, holding it up. Okay. This is all not actually what's going on. These are all... Um, but these are the representations that were described to us by Yechezkel. It's all going on spiritually. So let's see, it's going to bring us a little bit in here, a little bit of an explanation. It's also going to bring us that Adam, another thing, I know I'm throwing a lot at you. Adam is the gematria of 45, and also the word ma. What does ma mean? 
What? What is also 45? Mem is 40, he is 5. Adam is the gematria of ma. Ma is what? The word what represents bittle. What? What is it? I don't know. You're saying, I don't know. What is it? You're opening yourself up to something beyond you. Which is Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, but nachnu ma, what are we? Because he was the most humble person on earth and he was in this complete state of bittle. So let's read a little bit inside here, okay? Actually, that's bringing a verse from Yeshaya here. Um, so Yechiskel and then, oh, here inside for me from Yeshaya's vision. So the name of the first man, Adam, represents the concept of completely selfless dedication to Hashem, which is called Bittal. The numerical value of Adam is 45, which in Hebrew is Ma, which means what is it? This is referring to something transparent that is hardly noticeable. And therefore we must ask about it what it is. The divine soul comes from a level that is entirely transparent to Hashem's revelation. It's basically just a channel. Adam channels Hashem down through through what's called Adam on the Merkava down into this world. It comes from a place of complete, complete, complete transparency and null, null, nullification to Hashem. Um, this level is called Adam. Since this word is related to the word Adame, I will be compared. In the verse Adame Le'elyon, I will be compared to above. This level reflects the truth of Hashem as it really is and is therefore compared to Hashem's infinite light, which is above all worlds. I'm throwing a lot at you right now, but Adam, if you switch around the word Adam, you can see the word Mo'od. Mo'od means very much. And Mo'od is referring to Hashem as he exists up above, beyond all of the worlds. So Adam is really reflecting Hashem as he exists beyond creation. Okay? And that is the source of our godly soul. And what do you need to know from all of this? Our godly soul is sourced in a very, very high spiritual place where... There is complete selflessness and nullification to Hashem, and it's only serving as a channel for the divine. There's no sense of self whatsoever. That is the source of our godly soul. So the verse from Yeshaya, which describes Hashem's throne, is referring to the level of Malchus of Atzillus. This level is compared to a throne. Just like when one sits on a throne, he lowers his head and body, so too through this level of Malchus, Hashem lowers his wisdom and attributes of kindness and severity to be able to interact with limited created beings. So I made a mistake, sorry. The Merkava of Atsilos is not Chochma of Atsilos, it's Malchus of Atsilos, the lowest level, okay? Shula's like, okay. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> By saying that on this throne there were things like the appearance of Adam, this means that the level of Adam is a higher level in Atsilot than Malchus, more elevated than being the source of existence and interaction with created beings. Adam comes from a level of Atsilot which is very lofty, okay? And there's no sense of self or sense of um, connection, so to speak, with the lower spiritual beings. It's completely selfless state, which is reflecting the infinite God as he exists beyond the creation of the world, okay? Again, the important things to remember here is that the, the godly soul is sourced in a very high spiritual place, okay? As we're gonna see, um, higher, what, what's the relevance? Higher than the animal soul, okay? Sourced in a very high spiritual place, and it's sourced from a place of complete, complete nullification, which means that our godly soul has the potential for complete, complete nullification to Hashem. Okay, no existence whatsoever of its own. So, since the divine soul comes from the level of Adam, which is beyond creation, it is therefore able to reveal the real truth of Hashem into the created beings in this world. So, the real truth of Hashem is channeled down through what's called Adam. 
השתלשלות שלה למטה, page 6, and this descent of the godly soul down here, הוא על ידי בחינת פני אדם. It's channeled through what's called the face of אדם, שבמרכבה, which exists on the מרכבה. So our animals, our godly soul is a piece of God, one with God, right? חלק אלוקם עם הממש. One with God as he exists before any creation. But then it comes down into a physical human being body. So how does it do that? How does it go from חלק אלוקם עם הממש to me, inside me, sorry, to... I put it on airplane mode, but I guess that's not enough. <laughs> I have to put it on silent also. There we go. That's okay, your speaker also works. Pardon? <laughs> your speaker, speaker works. My speaker works, thank God. Okay, so our godly soul starts off literally one with Hashem as He is, with Hashem's um, infinity and with Hashem's essence. And it goes from being there to being inside me, to being manifest in my brain and then in my heart. How does it do that? Because it's channeled through this level called Adam Elyon, the supernal man, which is a channel, it's a vessel that is on the one hand a vessel, on the one hand it's a container, it's giving some sort of framework for the godly soul to come down, but at the same time it's also completely nullified and doesn't have any sense of self on its own. Does that make sense? Because that's the important thing to remember. You got that? Yes. Yes? yes, yes. I don't know if it's relevant, but I just... How would these prophets who saw the different worlds know there were the different worlds? Or did we like figure it out? So we're when so there are different angels in different worlds. So when we speak, when we say, um, like before the Shema, we speak about the different angels. We say the Chayot, the Ha'ofanim. We speak about different names of different angels, and um, the different angels exist in different worlds. So. If I remember correctly, the Ofanim are in the world of Yitzira, and I think the Chayot are in the world of Bria. Um, Malachim, I think, are in the world of Bria. The higher angels, when we speak about um, the famous angels of Gavriel, Michal, Raphael, they're, they're, they're very high angels from Bria. So when Yechezkel, for example, is describing his Merkava, he's describing Ofanim. He uses the language and the terminology that's referring to lower angels. So we know he's referring to the world of Yitzira. As opposed to Yeshaya, um, when he describes the angels that he sees, he's describing the angels that we know belong in the world of Bria. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so there, are different, there are different levels of... Okay, <laughs> are we ever really going to understand this? I'm not sure. But there are different levels of create, created beings that exist in different worlds. So if you're describing... And, and also, this is really... Uh, the angels that Yeshaya describes have like different amount of wings than the angels that Yechezkel describes. Okay, so <laughs> basically, because they're referring to different worlds and the representations that exist in those worlds. Um, and then, by the way, Zechariah, there are four, I told you there are four, four visions of the Merkava. Zechariah is an even lower, so to speak, level of prophet. He had a vision of a Merkava of the world of Asiya Haruchani, the spiritual world of Asiya. We live in the world of Asiya, the physical world. He had a vision of the spiritual world. So there were four Merkavas, four different visions that were given for different worlds. But we don't get a vision of Atsilot because there's nothing to see there. We look and learn about the Avot, about Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Rachel. The way they lived their life is almost a description of Atsilot. They were living and embodying Atsilot in this world, which is why they're called a Merkava. They're called a chariot stashem. They were the chariot themselves, which is a very interesting idea. Um, so again, I'm gonna, we're going to see why this is very relevant. Because knowing this, the altar is going to give us the point, and we'll finish this off with this. Knowing the source of our godly soul versus our animal soul, which we're going to discuss tomorrow, is going to help us learn how to work with both our animal soul and our godly soul. Because our animal soul and godly soul are two completely different souls, as we're going to see with com two completely different goals, purposes, and tendencies. 
and different nature. And as we said, the godly soul based in the brain, it's intellectual, it's cold, the animal soul is hot, it's fiery, it's based in the heart. How are we supposed to make these two work together? And the answer of this mimer is going to be in the way we can actually get the, so to speak, the animal soul on board is to know the source of both. So that's why we're discussing at length the source. But again, what do we need to understand? That the godly soul goes from a state of chelik elokamamash all the way beyond the world, one with Hashem's infinity and essence. It's channeled through what's called the face of man, the Adam on the Merkava, which represents, uh, again, a framework which is limited, but at the same time completely given over and bitul Hashem, which allows the godly soul to be channeled down all the way into our bodies. Okay? And the source is in a very high place. <laughs> Great. We'll finish off with that for today. The heavy, the heavy part is over. Um, <laughs>